It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognize the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. This week's guest I met through last week's guest, Simon Ben, who was happy to make the introduction. And just like that, I was connected to who you will hear from today. His name is Isaac Etter. And when I say I felt a degree of intimidation throughout the entire conversation, I mean it. He is articulate, intelligent, innovative, and building bridges in the adoption community at a whirlwind speed. His resume is impressive because he's only a quarter of a century young. Isaac is an interracial, transracial adoptee who is helping people develop their parenting skills by sharing what he has learned from his lived experience. He is an activist and social entrepreneur. He is the founder of Identity, a startup focused on using technology to help foster and adoptive families thrive. During only two conversations so far, one of which you're about to hear, I learned so much about how Isaac is on a fast track to change the world of adoption as we know it. He identified years ago the need for adoptees to educate anyone interested in fostering and or adopting a child outside of their ethnicity. Allow me to introduce to you someone who at an early age has all 10 toes in shifting adoption land. He understands the immense value that adoptees bring to the table when we convene with other members of the Constellation. Isaac, I am so happy to have this conversation with you. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I, I'm so glad Simon of Thriving Adoptees podcast introduced us a few weeks ago and and I just appreciate the fact that I get to talk to you and um, learn more about your adoption journey and, and all the many projects you are a part of. So I'm not really sure where to start except to say <laughs> whenever I talk with uh, transracial adoptees, also known or better known by many as interracial adoptees, I learn so much. So I'm looking forward to everything you want to share. So wherever you want to start. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I'm, I'm excited to be here, too. Yeah, I'm Isaac Getter. I'm an adoptee. I'm, a, I'm an interracial, transracial adoptee as well. I've been working in the adoption space for five years now. You know, really started by telling my story of being a transracial adoptee and got to do that, uh, you know, a lot. And that really is what kind of grew my passion for working in child welfare. Um, and then a year ago, um, I launched a new company in child welfare called Identity. And our goal was really to change the way um, adoption and foster care education is done and to really change the post-placement support um, options that are out there, uh, primarily by building our own platform uh, that we hope will grow into really the ultimate tool for adoptive and foster families when it comes to resources, support, and community 
uh, because all those things are really important to having, you know, a thriving family, but also to, to being the best parent you can be. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I, I know the little bit that I've heard about um, you helping adoptive parents of interracial adoptees do better, right? Learn yeah. the language and uh, some of the things that for years weren't, weren't really discussed. Is Absolutely. there anything in particular that you've learned uh, with working with adoptive parents that has surprised you? Man, that's a great question. I think one of the biggest maybe surprises, but maybe not surprises at the same time, it was surprising for me at least, was maybe the level of knowledge many parents don't have. So you could say that's knowledge on different cultures like race, you know, people who are adopting children of color who've never communicated or been in community with people of color. So there's a, there's a lack of knowledge and even where to start there. Um, sometimes there's a lack of knowledge in um, even that there's going to be any difference at all. So I think that's been some of the more interesting and like surprising things is that because of the way adoption can be, can be advertised, I think many parents, maybe not anymore many, but at least when I started, it seemed like many parents were walking into it with one idea. And then post-adoption, you know, they get a couple years down the line and they're, they're starting to realize they're having a very different experience than maybe was, what was portrayed. Those seem to be the parents that uh, resonate the best with my work because though my work is, you know, full of hard truths and things like that, um, I try to model a lot of my stuff around, like, how do we get better? How do we be the best parents we can be? I think parents who, you know, they've adopted, they they love their children, but were not prepared uh, or aware that a lot of these different, especially racial elements, would come up. They are looking and eager to find resources and support that helps them understand and be a better parent. Wow, that was good. <laughs> Yeah, that was good. So for my listeners, I know they're probably interested in knowing a bit about your adoption journey. See, I know you're very young and you have just hit the the ground running and yet you have your own personal journey as an adoptee. So would you share a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was uh, I was adopted when I was 2 to a white family. And I, you know, growing up, you know, I didn't grow up around any people of color. I was homeschooled. Not a super uncommon transracial adoption story, but certainly, certainly doesn't help with uh, racial identity and things like that. You know, growing up in a home that didn't really recognize or talk about race at all can lead to a lot of confusion. So when I was around 16, I, you know, was on the internet and I was learning kind of about racism from social medias like Tumblr. You know, you come across these hashtags, especially with the Internet nowadays. Sometimes you learn things that you never meant to learn. Mm. Um, and so that's really where my journey and kind of trying to understand who I was as a black person started uh, was really just because of things that was coming across on the Internet. And then it kind of grew, you know, when you're young and your family's never talked about race and you don't really and really know that black friends I had were also adopted. So there wasn't much reference um, I think you can kind of wonder what's real and what's not. And uh, for, you know, especially my last year of high school, a lot of my 
you know, curiosity about race and racism was wondering if it was even real just because, you know, nobody had ever brought it up to me. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the night I turned 17, you know, me and my friends were out late at night um, when we were, you know, I live in rural Pennsylvania. Uh, we were coming down this big hill and at the top of the hill, a little bit back, there was a cop car flashing around its lights like it was looking for somebody. Um, and as, you know, we started running, thinking somebody made a noise complaint or something. And as we were running, one of my friends shouts out, it's all right. Isaac's the only one that's going to get in trouble. Mm. And, you know, the, for me, that was a really big awakening to the fact that, you know, this is real. Yeah. And you life know, this is, is different real. for you. Yeah. 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 And also that people around me knew, you know, I think that was a big shocker. Mm-hmm. to have that realization that other people in my life knew about something that, you know, nobody had cued me into. Yeah, I I don't think there is a black transracial adoptee adopted by white parents that doesn't have a story that they shared with me when it was one of those, like, real moments. Like, real as in it impacted them in a way that I am a black person and that mm-hmm. shows up very different than a white person Absolutely. as an adoptee. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just curious, would you feel like you fit in or belonged or neither? Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think most of my life I never really felt like I fit in. For for many reasons other than race, but then also race was kind of on top of it. You know, I was always kind of an eccentric person and kid and still am. And so, you know, I was always obsessively into what I was obsessed with. And, uh, you know, for a while that was music and then it was, you know, production. And, you know, I was just one of those kids who was always doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always felt very, very different because I, I always, you know, was on a mission. Right. Um, and so that on top of, I think, the adoption factors, I always felt kind of some level of, of isolation and difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's interesting to kind of have that combined with the adoption stuff because it was one on a on like kind of like a social level, even though I had great friends. But I was the only one of my friends who was, you know, basically had a career in high school. And so that was that was, you know, one level of difference. Uh, but then there was also, you know, being the only black person in my friend groups. And so that was one level of difference. And then you, know, you have the family dynamics as well and feeling very different inside of my family unit. So I feel like difference. And I think for many adoptees, this is also the case because we don't have that biological connection. And I think some of our personalities and things are inherently biological. You're not looking around and seeing a ton of people who are personality wise like you. Um, and that can be its own form of isolation. Right. Yeah. See, for me, yeah. as a same race, black domestic adoptee, I always felt like I fit in. Right. I mm-hmm. I could fit in because I looked a lot like my adoptive family. And all these years later, you know, I'm 58. And all these years later, it's like I don't want to fit in anymore. I want to belong. Right. So I'm always mm-hmm. seeking out where I feel like I belong, which one of the places is the adoption community with other adoptees and members of the constellation in general. How do you feel about belonging, if you do, with the, <laughs> with the community? Does, it, does that resonate with you? 
I think it certainly does, and and it kind of growingly does. I think being an adoptee is such a such a complicated journey uh, because we all have such vastly different experiences. So I think where I found some of the best belonging is really finding kind of some of some of the mutually minded adoptees and circles of adoptees that are, um, I think, committed to growth, healing and almost recovery from adoption. Um, And I think that's, it can be, that can kind of sound like a little bit disruptive, I think, or maybe, you know, maybe that puts people on edge a little bit to to phrase it like that. But I think there is a, there is a really long and probably a lifelong recovery process to being adopted. Even if you have a fantastic adoption, I think that there is, there is always the, the curiosity and wondering um, about your biological family. There is always some level of um, sensing difference. And then there's uh, always, I think, a secondary life journey that happens after you have kids and, you know, probably another one when your kids have kids. Right. And when you get married, there, there's all these things that people don't really think about that adoptees go through. You might say, like, on your wedding day, well, your parents are there. Well, yeah, in one extent, that's true. But like my biological parents aren't here. And that's, that's can be a little disruptive. Um, Even if you like have, even if you absolutely love your adopted parents, right, even if there's nothing, no tension, no anything, there's still a disruption um, kind of internally when you think about that. Um, When you think about having kids, like, you know, I have a two year old. And so it's like, you know, having a child really transformed how I thought about adoption and my journey and things like that. Um, but it also brought up a lot of feelings about my own biological parents and a lot of forgiveness as well. But the, these things that I think happen in life, they're their own mini journeys. You can almost, I think, as you go through life, in a sense, heal and accept your adoption, no matter how it happened, right? Because there are certainly tragic stories of families being separated and then there are stories where orphans like there's 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 kind of like this there's these mix of stories right and not all of them are perfect and honest and and um, ethical but i think most adoptees can get to a point of acceptance and and healing um, either within themselves but i think that acceptance and healing does not mean the journey is over because there are still steps and journeys and lives that we live past it. Wow. Um, and so, and so, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Yes. And so it's, it's just, it's an, it's an ongoing. Um, and that's kind of why I phrase it as a recovery because though in no means, I don't mean to d- diminish or um, discount, you know, alcoholism or, or addict recovery um, because those are serious things. I think there is a, there's almost like a, an eerie simulation to the idea that like adoptees are always having to remember what happened, confront what happened and, and go through the healing journey at each stage. Um, and I think that is very similar to what I see some of my friends who have um, stopped drinking alcohol go through, right. they live their lives and they go to weddings, they go to parties and they are reminded as they watch other people around them drink um, of that and they have to always consciously choose to stay healed to stay in that process to stay 
motivated. And again, no mean dis- diminishing uh, or dismissing the the reality of, of addiction or anything like that have a similar journey. Different, for sure, but a, a similar journey where we're constantly in life having to go back to this moment and and keep healing, keep diving in, stay on the path um, um, and remembering, you know, who we are. That was so good, Isaac. So yeah, interesting you. how you put that. Yeah, I, I yeah, I can picture that. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think you're diminishing or taking away from the struggle of um, a recovering addict. I'm just amazed at how wise you are. See, the audience, I know how old you are in the audience. <laughs> I mean, you, the audience has no clue listening to you that you're you're 24, about to be 25, with all this wisdom. Like, how do you explain it? Because I was nowhere where you are when I was 24. Yeah, I think people don't realize how much of how how much of my life this is. Um, and uh, it's one thing that always kind of keeps motivating me towards the future. Is that you know. More and more, I think people are, are realizing that like a lot of people work in this space, like a lot of wonderful people and intentional people work in this space. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, you know, just maybe this is arrogant, but I, I have yet to come across uh, another person in this space who who, sp- who puts as much hours in um, to understanding and learning as I do. Right. I mean, it's 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 a constant for me. It's, yeah. it's how I it's how I live and breathe. Uh, and it has been for the last four years. Four years. Um, I feel the passion. You know what I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I feel it. I felt it the first time we spoke on the phone. And yeah. thank you. And yeah. And that's why I said this is a privilege to get yeah. to talk to Isaac and yeah. ask him, you know, about his thank life, you. his life journey, because, yeah. you know, I'm thinking 24. Like, <laughs> yeah. People don't realize, like, I'll, I'll go into the adoption groups and I'll post, like, anonymous things just to, like, understand how parents are thinking. Like, you know, I'll sit on the Facebook groups for hours and just, like, read how parents are responding to each other, you know. Right. I'll sit with agencies and, and talk about pain points. So and you're just immersed in it. Yeah, you're just totally. Yeah, I'm yeah. immersed in it. Right. And I, and, and I think it's two sides of immersion that you really have to do because I have I have chosen and I know not all adoptees choose this, but I, I've chosen to really be on the parent side to really work on understanding, like, is there a way that we can create really great parents for adoptees and foster children? Right. Um, and so that has been my, my, my calling and work. It's from my own story, watching my parents transform and start to understand me. Um, that really springboarded that. But there are also a lot of adoptees who are strictly working on the adoptee side who are trying to help adoptees find healing and adoptees find meaning. Um, I think of like Hannah Matthews, who does this so well on her Instagram. It's really, I think, thanks to some of the work that those people do that I get to kind of get this really good full picture. Mm-hmm. Of course, I spend a lot of time with adoptees. Um, Jessica Lucreve, um, I'm going to say her last name wrong. She works for Spence Chapin in New York City. She runs like a bunch of adoptee programming for them. And, and these are these are really um, unspoken heroes of the adoptee community, I think. Well, um, we'll be sure spend... and include her name in the show notes. Yeah, I'll make sure I'll make sure <laughs> you get her full name. But, you know, these are people who, who have spent, um, you know, Jessica has spent decades. Hannah has been doing this work as long as I have. So for, like we kind of started around the same time. So like four or five years. Um, these are people who are who are spending uh, absurd amount of time 
understanding adoptees, spending time with adoptees, understanding how they how they operate. And I and I'm thankful for being able to know and watch like Hannah's Instagram and, and get deeper insight into how adoptees feel. Um, to spend time with Jessica, who's a new friend, but even our conversations already have helped inform how adoptees feel and how they feel throughout their lifetime. And then my own relationships with adoptees in personal and professional ways, I, I think it really gives this full picture that if you look across the adoption field, we really miss the full picture. There, there's a lot of talk about like more lived experience informed work, like all of that. Yeah, that's really true. But what a lot of people aren't talking about is the the really important dynamic of really understanding both um, people. Yeah. Um, and so we always understand that adoptive parents have gotten too much spotlight, and that's true. But the 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 fix is actually not a, an exclusion of one. It's really saying how do we mesh these things together really beautifully, to where parents are able to learn from lived experience. Parents are able to reflect back, feel insecure, um, be vulnerable, be honest, and are met with encouragement, love, and also a push to keep leaning into that to be better parents. Um, and that—that that is, I think, the gonna be the magic of identity, is that it's not just we're bringing in lived experience, it's not just that we're putting adoptees voices first is that we're doing that and creating the space for parents to be insecure and vulnerable and push back on it, but still pushing and encouraging them to keep leaning in. And I think that is where we find a new generation of adoption experiences. It's not by, yeah, it's just like we have to, we have to push both envelopes very well. I mean, remember that both of these people are going to have a human experience in it. And so when adoptees say something that makes an adoptive parent feel insecure, we should be pushing the adoptive parents to lean into that feeling without making them feel bad or wrong. Because that insecurity, that um, awareness, I think that's actually what leads to the growth. And a lot of times it can, it can lead to conflict if you don't have a right. And I see this so much in the Facebook groups. Um, when we, when adoptive parents are pushed and they re, they lash out in insecurity, you know, they get the lash back back. But the, the actual fix is to understand that parents are inherently insecure and children are inherently angry, um, especially adoptive children. You know what I mean? We, we as children of parents are inherently um, going to have our own view of it. And I was angry at my parents for years. It took me having my own child before I really understood how to forgive my parents at all. Mm. And so when we understand a lot of these dynamics, we remember that both of these communities need to be held and cherished with love. And how we do that has to honor the adoption and lived experience and the pain that that is and honor the fact that these adoptive parents, they're raising children that are us. Like when I see an adoptive parent, even one that uh, I may be disheartened by, my my memory triggers back to the fact, well, they're raising a little version of me. And so the, the end goal doesn't become making them believe me no matter what. It becomes how do I make this transformation happen in a meaningful way that changes that child's life. Right. What I'm hearing you say, which is so important, is that you're looking at the big picture and you want to see change. You want to see things get 
better, like really improve. All of it matters. The adoptee's perspective and lived experience, what's coming up for adoptive parents, the insecurity you talked about, like I, that totally resonated with um, me as far as my adoptive mom. I felt like she was so insecure about being a mother, you know, this way as an adoptive parent. And so, yeah, you're looking at how, what's going on and how can we improve things? And I know you do a lot of work with race relations, which I think is wonderful. Like you, <laughs> I don't know how you do all of this. You you really wear many hats. And one question I wanted to ask you, because you do have the opportunity having white parents to kind of like figure out where they are and, and watch them grow even. I think I've heard you say uh, your your parents are have have somewhat evolved because of the things that you have shared with them and, and the work that you do. And so would you say at one time they were colorblind at all? Were they that way at all? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, growing up that, that was, that was the time period, right? You know, I was, I was growing up in the two thousands. And so, you know, that was a colorblind time. My parents were, I, you know, I was adopted in 2000. And so that was, that was adoption agency ideology as well um, with this colorblind mentality. And so my parents were immersed in that idea. Um, and I was raised around that idea. And it really wasn't until I was an adult that those things changed. You would consider them no longer colorblind. Oh, no, not at all. Great. I mean, my parents have done, have done a lot of their own work to understand, even though, you know, it's because of conflict between us. They've really done a, a phenomenal job at learning, understanding, and seeing, you know, they're big supporters of the work that I do, which I think is its own testimony to their growth. Right. You want to talk a little bit about the work that you do? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want the history of it or just the current? I think the history would be nice. Ah, oh, gosh, 2018, uh, I spoke at an event that I was actually throwing for, for a nonprofit I, I started. And me and a friend of mine who were both adopted, we just talked about being adopted in those feelings. And I got a couple of adoption agencies to sponsor it. Um, at that point, I had no plans of ever working in adoption. It was just, I, I was throwing in, a, I, was start, I started this nonprofit that was trying to help young people connect with nonprofits and volunteer more. And, you know, it was just kind of like my first endeavor into the social space. And we did this event on adoption and foster care, and we both spoke, and the adoption agencies both asked me to come and speak again. You know, one adoption agency and one social worker, she would have me come monthly. She would have me to come to all of her cultural trainings. And, uh, you know, after a couple months of doing it, she kind of just pulled me aside, and she was like, you know, you should really, you should really think about doing this. Like, you should probably just do this. <laughs> And, and I, you know, I was 19. Like I, I, I didn't know what that meant. I don't think I really cared. I was like, okay. (laughs) And so, um, you know, I spent a month learning how to build Squarespace websites and I built myself a website, but then I was like, there's, there's no service here. And so I was like, I guess I could just, it could just be consulting. And I was just like, what about editor consulting? And it was like, it was thinking back on it now, it was such a thoughtless process. It was really just like, okay, like just trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I really realized how, like, how it would be. But yeah, and then in twenty nine in January of 2019, I just was, I just launched it. I was just like, hey, like I'm going to work, I'm going to be a transracial 
adoption consultant. I don't know if that was a thing before, but it was a thing <laughs> then. Um, <laughs> I think that's fantastic. I I yeah. sense that you just were going to learn as you as you went along. Yeah, and that's you know that's exactly what happened because it's it's a tricky space. You know, it's not like other businesses at all. It probably wouldn't be a suggested business to a lot of people because it's not like you kind of come in and have a blueprint for this, um, especially in the transracial, especially even in 20, you know, it was 2019. So even in 2019, it wasn't even like super, like people weren't super interested in 2019 Mm -hmm. and still. And so, yeah, a lot of learning, a lot of figuring out. That's when, um, like, I'm not sure if you're on Instagram, but like a lot of the Instagram adoptees, also we're kind of starting around like 2018 and 2019 and so it was kind of getting popular to start instagram pages and that's where people were connecting with parents and teaching and adoptees and like the adoption community online started to really start to boom yeah um and so that was really cool to watch kind of happen you know some awesome people like emerged through that time um and so it was that was a it was a phenomenal period to be a part of i think and so, and even just to still watch those people, you know, for me, it's so exciting, but like, even to still watch like some of the people who I know, you know, we were some of the first follow, like I, we were some of the first people to follow each other on Instagram when they started their, their pages. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just to watch kind of like the evolution of that has been really insane. And so for that first year, you know, I didn't get anything right. Um, but then in 2020, you know, things started to get better and, all that and then George Floyd happened and George Floyd, you know, as tragic, it's a tragic instance, but it, it, it's like it shook the adoption space because a lot of transracial parents had no clue how to talk to their children about what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so I just remember like just like the flood of inquiries that I got during that summer. And that's really what I think catapulted me a little bit more into whatever whatever like a more public eye would be I've always been like a cold emailer so like for all of 2019 I've probably emailed like every adoption agency that exists Um, and I probably multiple times actually because I would just cold email them like promotional stuff and be like want a speaker to come and talk about your like I just right right. Um, it's crazy like a ton of people would like went back to those emails and responded that's interesting Tell me more about that. Like, what what kind of responses did you get? In 2020, it's it's almost like they remembered, like, that one guy who was in their email trying to get the to talk about transracial oh, adoption. Yeah. You know what I mean? It yeah. wasn't like they were just responding back. Some agencies didn't. That was awesome. They, they, were just like, they would just naturally respond back. And I made a lot of wonderful connections through those cold emails. A lot of them, it was it was just funny to just find them it's almost like they went back searching because they didn't have a lot of other, they didn't have a lot of other reference points. Right. Um, And and that to me was really, really crazy. Um, And it also feels kind of like fruit of labor. You know what I mean? Um, People, I I always say people really underestimate how valuable headspace is and it can't be really quantified until later. But, you know, for me and even still to this day, I always, optimized to be in adoption agencies and like in parents head um, even if it isn't the immediate financial reward because you know if you know the long-term game of it you know that the issues are going to come up and I would rather be the first person they think of in the long run 
than anything else. Absolutely. And so that that was always my that was always my model um, was just like I, just make sure they can't forget about you. And so that was at our consulting and 2020 really helped kind of get me into a new sphere and, and get people, you know, a lot of more bookings and all of that. Um, and then we kind of went into 2021 and 2021, it, it had been about two years in at that point. And I was, I was personally feeling like, you know, maybe there was more that could be done. There was ideas for me to expand, like maybe to bring on a second consultant there, there was just like a lot of this rumbling inside of me to to really think deeper about what we were doing here mm. from both like a financial standpoint and from like a life standpoint. Like I was leading these trainings and people seemed to really like them, but it didn't really feel super great to, to do trainings and then to just be done like until the next year. And, you know, I was like, it just seems like there there's more to be done. And so that is kind of when identity started to kind of be about in May of 2021, I, I went to Atlanta with the intention to just like have the birth of this idea that was rumbling around. Um, and I sat in the hotel room for, for two days and I just wrote out this idea of like what it could be like to have like an app where parents can experience the same things that they were experiencing in my trainings at any time. And just kind of, I just dived in. I just like if this, the number of things that this app could do, I just dove into it. Um, and that's when identity started like that. That was the start of identity from that moment. And, you know, up until like forming the company and all of it, it's like that became my new mission. I our consulting still exists and I still speak and I, I still do some of that. But my kind of new mission became like really revolutionizing adoption education, really taking the experience that I was creating for transracial families and saying, how can we do this across all the different types of adoption and foster care that are happening? And then how do we also do it in a way online that parents can have it on the go? Because I think that's one of the biggest downsides of trainings, in-person trainings, and even virtual trainings is that sometimes they're just like, they're just there, like hopefully you took good notes. Right. And I was like, what if that's we can, good... what if we can, yeah. That's a good point. And on like, the go. Yeah on the go it's yeah. like can we create resources that are on the go can we have webinars that are on the go like how can we kind of take some of the things that are working here and, and make them a ton more accessible and really to me that felt like like sustained impact yeah right? that sounds like People, the secret sauce right there yeah it's yeah it's just it's it, yeah what what was happening in my trainings is just like sometimes it felt really beautiful but then it just felt over right and even if parents yeah even if you get the messages you know and parents are like oh this has been great like if we've been using this and we learned your webinars like that's great but i i totally understand that what you learn when your parent when your child is like two three in a decade you might have kind of forgotten some of that stuff. Right. And so I was like, man, there has to kind of be a way that we can create kind of like this really long-term impact. And I, I think it's going to be exciting. To, like we already have people that use the learning community. And I think it's like, it's going to be exciting to watch the learning community product grow, but then to also watch that happen, to have like three-year-olds that turn four, five, six, seven, and their parents have been in the learning community throughout it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think that will play a phenomenal impact in how those children grow up because it's not just once and hopefully you remember and hopefully your notes come back up. It's like, 
here's a community of people who are always pushing that envelope, who are always trying to understand better, who are always trying to be great parents, and who wants you to be a great parent. And hopefully, uh, parents want to stay and be a part of that because of how helpful it is. I'm so glad you shared that. That was, yeah, that was really good. And actually what came up for me, I was just reading about podcasts and kind of how they really took off. Yeah. Um, And it had a lot to do with making it effortless, right, to to, um, people on the go, where they could just kind of push a button, didn't have to download, I think at some point years ago. It was a process, right? And so people are trying to get things that are easy to access and it, it does. It makes total sense to think on the go. Mm-hmm. So, like, Absolutely. what's been the most rewarding thing about all the things that you're a part of? That's a great question. I think the the most rewarding thing, there, there's always, like, kind of, like, the external reward of, like, feeling like we're making an impact. But I feel like almost everybody says that. And so I'm going to say something a little bit different. <laughs> I think the real reward for me has been watching myself grow into somebody that feels unimaginable from last year's version of myself every single year. Mm. And every single year, I feel like the impact becomes deeper, the vision becomes deeper, the progress becomes deeper. And that feels more like an honest answer, to be honest, about what's been the most rewarding side of it. Because when I think you follow your passion and you follow what you want to do, even in spite of all the struggles, you have no choice but to to grow. And if you're going to build something and you're going to build something you care about, you really just can't do it unless you're also committed to growing into that person. And that is sometimes that's harder than the actual work is the discipline, the, the intentionality sitting through the repetition of a lot of this um that's phenomenally harder and i think it's it it can only like if you're willing to do all those things it can only further the case that you really care and you really want to do it that's a beautiful answer yeah (laughs) And, and so i think yeah that's that's how i feel about it yeah i can relate to that Mm-hmm. I think what has surprised me the most about the work that I have been doing over the nearly two years with the podcast is how many people I get to meet, particularly adoptees, that are just extraordinary, like yourself, just doing amazing work. And, and I don't think I would have necessarily met them or been able to talk to them in depth like this. Yeah, but I love your answer. Yeah, thank you. And you've had some phenomenal people in here for sure. And that, that, that I can only imagine the impacts all those perspectives have had. Oh, my goodness. I never would have thought it's, it's been a blessing in my life. And particularly yeah. when I talk to younger adoptees, I've had a number of adoptees on like yourself that are young enough to be my son or daughter. And I'm, I'm just always like in awe because when I was you all's age, I was... I won't say I was in the fog. I'll just say that I, and, and maybe I was, but I'll just say that I wasn't the least bit interested in making an impact in our community. 
You know, like, and I yeah. think that that is so important because it affected me. Adoption has affected me and plenty of people I know. And for you all to get started, like, it really makes me emotional because you, you like you say, you're passionate about change, whether we're talking race relations, adoptive parents becoming, I guess, better parents, and of course, fellow adoptees being heard, being seen. I, I'm just in awe. I'm in awe that you all are getting started early, and it's it's really a wonderful thing. So, you know, hats off to you and all the others, all my other guests like you that are making major contributions to the community. I think that's just fantastic. Thank so I really want to honor your time. And so in closing, is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to share? I don't really think so. I mean, I guess I can do just do like a quick, like socials plug if, if anybody wants to follow along. Absolutely. Um, that's really the only thing I can think of. You know, the Instagram is Isaac underscore editor. The company website is identitylearning.co, C-O. And the Instagram, I guess, for identity is identity.learning. And yeah, follow along you know, reach out, uh, you know, I'm always happy to have discussions. Um, and so any listeners are welcome to, to reach out. Well, thank you. And I will absolutely include uh, your contact information in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out of your full schedule to have a conversation with me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Seriously, this has been awesome. One thing that I've identified about the younger generation is they are quick to get a bright idea and run with it without hesitation. They remind me that I don't want to toy with procrastination. Isaac decided that once he observed a need in our community, he went about the business of being a part of a solution. I picture him thinking, if not now, then when? If not me, then who? I like when Isaac said that he wants to provide information to parents with their on-the-go lifestyle in mind. I agree that conferences are a wonderful resource, and yet with the passing of each day, month, and years, many things we learn there are forgotten. People need resources that fit the life they live. Inspiration might get us started on a project, but it's passion that keeps us going. Isaac's passionate energy of being a service to others is evident in his words and work. Thank you, Isaac, for having this conversation with me. From the start of meeting you via an email that led to a conversation and then another one, I know of the tremendous contributions you have made in many communities. I believe that your future is bright, the best is yet to come, and it is a privilege to know you. I imagine every interracial, transracial adoptee who is still a little person, thanking you for having them on your mind. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow and or give a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I hope you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is the best way for me to grow the show. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode 
free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community. Thank you so much for being here.